Good morning. It's good to be back. It feels like I'm on a Binnericke tour this weekend, but it's really great to, uh, to be with you. Um, it'd probably be quite a good idea for me to introduce myself a little bit, as is this um, for most of us, it's the first time we've met. So my name's Claire, Claire Blatchford, um, and I have been regional minister in this area for about 13 months now. Um, prior to that, I was the minister at Cranham Baptist Church down in Upminster. And as you can tell from my accent, I am Essex born and bred. So um, I was born in Barking. Most of my life I've lived in the South End. Oh, Barking, great. Um, most of my, my life I've lived in the South End area. Um, so I am serving God in an area that I know pretty well. Um, I'm married to Colin. We live in Wickford um, with our black Labrador called Marmite. And um, there's a story about that, and I'll tell you, talk to you about that afterwards. Um, and we're members at Eastwood Baptist Church. So um, not that I'm there very often, because I'm out and about, um, but I'm heading there straight after our time together, because one of our ministers is leaving. So we've got her farewell lunch and service this afternoon. But it is such a privilege to serve um, God and the churches within the EBA. I have 54 that I oversee. Um, but it is amazing to see what God is doing in this part of the country, but particularly this part of Essex. I always kind of say that I think I've got the best patch, the south of Essex, um, but it's, um, it's great. It's absolutely amazing. So thank you for your such a warm welcome. Um, thank you for your prayers and your support, um, and I look forward to seeing what God has in store for you here in Billericay. Winnie the Pooh and Piglet were walking along the road in companionable silence. Finally, Piglet broke the silence and asked Paul, uh, Pooh, what do you, when you wake up in the morning, what do you say? Pooh answered, I say, what's for breakfast? What do you say, Piglet? <coughs> Piglet answered, I say, I wonder what exciting thing is going to happen today. Today is an exciting day. This weekend is an exciting weekend. In fact, I believe January is an exciting month in the life of Billericay Baptist Church. I'm going to be back again at the end of this month. And you know, as we've already been reminded this morning, we've been waiting quite a long time for this month to come. And that is why I chose the Bible reading that Ben read to us earlier. As you go forward from today, as you move further into a new year and as new ministries begin, I want to encourage you all to do something. Quite a simple request, but one I believe that will be truly life-changing. I want to encourage you to pray, but not just pray, to pray big. I want you to ask God to do big things for his church here in Billericay and the community around you. And with that in mind, there are no more encouraging verses I can think of than Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. In fact, they are my favourite in the whole of scripture. So let me read them again to you. Paul says in his letter to the Christians in Ephesus, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. 
or in the NRSV. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. Or in the Amplified Bible, now to who, him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes or dreams. Or as Eugene Peterson write, writes, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does not do it by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Paul tells us that God can do more than we could ever think to pray for. God can do more than our wildest and craziest dreams. And so I guess the question as we start this year is also a simple one. Do you believe it? That's it. That's really the basis for the beginning of a new year, the beginning of a new chapter in the life of BBC. Do you believe that God can? Nothing more than that. It doesn't mean that there won't be sickness and pain. There will still be disappointments and struggles. There will still be sadness. But in spite of them, do you believe God can do more than we could ever hope to ask? Do you? Yes. Yeah. But it should be a resounding yes. We should be shouting it from the rooftops. But too often, I think as human, we, humans, we have a rather benign view of God. We so often just want the basics. We don't want to overburden God. We think if we keep our dreams and requests to a minimum, then maybe God will be more likely to give us what we want. Yet Paul is telling us that God can do so much more, abundantly more than we can ever ask think or imagine. So do you think we don't receive because we don't so often really ask? I mean, we often give thanks for a new day. We hope that we might have a good day. We hope we might make it home at the end of the day to go to sleep and then wake up the following morning and do it all over again. But I think when we get into that style of thinking and living and praying, we end up living in a C.S. Lewis's Narnia, where it is always winter and never Christmas. If that's all it was, it certainly would feel pretty hopeless. No green, no laughter, no optimism, no dreams. And maybe for some of you, that's how 2022 looked to you. Very much like the cold and barren Narnia. And to one degree or another, we have all felt the wintry blast of a tough year. But I wonder how many people get stuck in that type of thinking. Always winter, never Christmas. You know, a really sad mantra and so easy to get stuck there. To think and believe that there's no way out, that what we've got is all that it will ever be to defeat ourselves, not experience the power which is available to us in abundance. Because that's God's promise 
to us. But I'm not sure we always experience an abundant type of living. So this year, I want to encourage you to start praying with expectancy. Not just wishful thinking, not some sort of pie-in-the-sky thinking, but really believing that God can do more than you could ever have imagined or thought. So in these next few moments, I want to share some ways we should pray to God in order to see him accomplish great things in and through us, in and through you, Billy Ricky Baptist Church. The first way we should pray is to pray hard for this church. Why? Because, believe it or not, Wayne and Gary cannot do it on their own. And the elders can't do it on their own. And the trustees and deacons can't do it on their own. And the members of Billericay Baptist Church, you can't do it on your own. The truth is, the success of this church doesn't depend on Wayne or Gary or the elders, deacons or the members. Ultimately, it depends on God. If you are to reach people with the gospel to see lives changed, make disciples, baptise them, see new people added to your number, we need to pray hard. Paul, in one of his other letters to the Thessalonian church, commands them to pray continually or pray without ceasing. In praying hard, we're depending on God to help us do what he wants us to do. And at the same time, we admit that we're pretty helpless in all of this. Paul points out that God is able because he knows ultimately that you and I are not. This prayer that we read in Ephesians highlights the need for God to do great things in our lives as believers. Look back at verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, Paul says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Those are great things, aren't they? And maybe Paul anticipated the Ephesians feeling a little overwhelmed by it all. But Paul reminds them that this is a task for God, not us. It depends on him and his ability, not ultimately ours. So friends, as you begin this new year, this new chapter, I encourage you to get rid of the phrase, I can't, from your vocabulary. Because you're right, you can't. But the truth is, God can. And if we merely seek to accomplish everything we do in our own strength, in our sheer willpower, intellectual plans, financial resources, we will fail. We will be discouraged and we will be ready to give up. So we need to admit our helplessness before God because we need his help. Second thing we must do is recognise reliance on God is essential. 
Paul says now to him who is able to do. You get a sense that Paul is deep in prayer for these believers and all of a sudden he is overwhelmed with the reality that only God can do this. And as Christians, we need to realise, again, the resource that we have in Jesus Christ. The power is not within our own strength, but in God. The word that Paul uses, the word able, is a Greek word, dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. It means power, potential, ability. The way Paul words it reminds us that God is continuously able. God is far more able than you or I to empower us, to accomplish what he wants in our lives. Our growth as believers depends on God who is faithful. It depends on God to help us change to become more like Jesus. But God doesn't sprinkle us with a magic pixie dust. It's dependent on God to make those changes from the inside out. We need to depend on God to open people's hearts to the gospel. We need to depend on God for our direction. Proverbs 3 reminds us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So as we depend on God, he will direct us in the way we should go as individuals and as his church. The third thing we must do, um, we must know, is that without God, nothing matters. It does not matter what we try to do if God isn't in it. If we've not followed his plans and purposes. If we are the ones that have set the goal and just ask God to endorse it. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says that work done independently of God will be futile. So friends, let's pray hard. Depending on God to help us because without him, nothing matters. And it's only when we allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord of our life, day by day, moment by moment, that we can truly depend on God. He is the one able to work in and through us to accomplish his will. So pray and pray big for this church. And what does God want to accomplish in and through BBC? immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Because God has an inexhaustible supply of power available to you and I. It's like a supercalifragilisticexpialidocious power. And even when we think we could have exhausted it, Paul says God is able to do even more. Because his power never runs low. It never runs dry. It never runs out. It is a limitless supply available to us because God still has more in the tank. He has more in the reserves. God can and will do far more than we could possibly do on our own. 
God has so much power, he can do more than we could ever dream of. And earlier in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul says the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to us as a believer in Christ to help us live for him. Just think about that for a moment. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. So we should dream big. We should pray big. And we should ask God to do big things for this church, for his church. Why? Because he can. So I ask you the question again. Do you believe it? Because it's one thing to know it intellectually, but to actually, truly believe it. It requires faith in God's power. And we need to trust that God can do more and will do more. More in our life, more in the community around us and more in this church. Hebrews 11 reminds us, without faith, it, faith is, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It requires faith. Trusting that God can really do more, that he wants to do more. And so I want to encourage us to believe and truly believe that God wants to do great things in and through us. God wants to energise us or empower us to do what he has called us to do. But it's up to us to allow him to do it. God works in us to accomplish his purposes, but ultimately we must allow him to do it. God wants to use us, but we must be willing to be used. We must surrender our will to his and, uh, to his and allow his power to be working in us to accomplish what he has called us to do. God is able to do so much more, but when we are not willing to allow him to use us, we limit it. So the more that you and I surrender ourselves to his control and to allow Christ's power to help us live for him, the possibilities are endless. And for that, for me, that is so exciting. And as your regional minister, I can't wait to hear what God will do in and through you, Gary, and in and through you, Wayne, and in and through you, Billericay Baptist. We have a great God who loves us more than we could ever realise. He wants to do great things, immense things, through Christians and churches who truly surrender themselves, who want to please him and glorify him with their lives. Before the term megachurch was ever conceived, Charles Spurgeon pioneered one right in the heart of London. He was just 20 years of age and New Park Street Church called him to be their pastor. And God began to move in the midst of that church and soon people were coming in such large numbers that the church building couldn't hold them. So they constructed a new building, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, which seated 6,000 people, which was, was just unheard of. And for 31 years, he filled the Metropolitan Tabernacle twice on Sundays and hundreds upon hundreds of people each year came to have faith in Jesus Christ and were baptised. 
And Spurgeon, who is referred to by many as the Prince of Preachers, would have been the first to tell you that the source of that church's strength and success wasn't in any special program or idea, nor was it in the words that he preached. Left to themselves, they were just mere words. There was a greater source of strength. Well, the story goes that on one Sunday, five young college students who were preparing for the pastoral ministry visited the church to hear Charles Spurgeon preach. And while they're waiting for the church doors to open, Spurgeon himself approached them and asked if they would like to see the powerhouse of this great church. These soon-to-be preachers were delighted to see the secret to the power of this wonderful church. So Spurgeon led them through a long hallway, down a stairway, and cautiously opened a door at the bottom. And what the five young men saw astonished them. Looking through this open doorway, they saw the room packed with people, bowed in prayer, asking God for his blessing on the upcoming service. That, said Spurgeon, is our powerhouse. Spurgeon never took credit for the success of his ministry. He said any success he had 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 come from God in answer to their prayers. And Spurgeon was often fond of calling these prayer gatherings the church's boiler room. The condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings, he said. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. Spurgeon had a way with words that kind of just cut straight through. Spurgeon trusted that God would do more than he could ever imagine. I'm so encouraged that uh, tomorrow you start this week of prayer. So pray and pray big. So as we begin this new year, Let's pray that we would see God do more than we could ever hope to ask. And then when we see God at work, that we would give him the glory that he deserves. Not that you would have the best ministry team that BBC has ever had, but that God would be glorified. Let's pray that all that we do will be done so people know how great the God we serve is. To end, what would you ask for if you found a genie in a bottle and were granted three wishes? God is so much more than a genie in a bottle. He is the God of the impossible. He can enable us to do amazing things if only we would let him. We can build the sort of community God wants through the power of his Holy Spirit if we let him if we present him with our bodies as a living sacrifice, if we allow his spirit to work within us to transform us to become more like Jesus. And if you really believe that, then you'll start to ask in newer and different ways. In this amazing letter, Paul is trying to tell us that he knows the one who has this immense power, this dynamic power to help us experience greater grace greater peace, greater mercy, greater love, greater power and abundant strength than we've ever imagined because God is the one who can make it happen.
I believe God is offering to anyone who dares to ask, to believe, to dream about an abundance of power, to do more than ever imagined. New things which can and will change our lives and ultimately the world around us. So ask. Ask and ask and ask. And believe that God will do more than you could ever imagine. Friends, don't just sit there waiting on God. Take action. And I believe each one of us will experience more than we could ever imagine in our wildest dreams. Amen. We're going to move into sharing communion, a demonstration of that amazing, abundant power. Remembering all that God did through Jesus Christ. Remembering that that same power that rose Jesus from the dead, we have available to us. Here before us is bread. Good news for the world with a headline that says, let all who are hungry for justice come and eat. Here is wine. Good news for all who long with a headline that says, let all who thirst for righteousness come and drink. Here is the table. Good news for all who are lost with a headline that says, all who are weary come and gather here. Here is community. Good news for all whom the world ignores with a headline that says, Behold, I make all things new. Come and be restored. Here is Jesus. Good news for all who wait with a headline that says, I have come that all may have life. Come and live a life that is abundant. We're not here as a right, but by the grace of God. We have not come to parade any virtue, but to acknowledge our faults and seek forgiveness. This table speaks not about what we we may do, but what Christ has done. Not about our love for him, but his for us. And here at this table is where sorrow brings joy, despair, hope, defeat, victory, and death, life. So come to him as you are and open your heart to all that shall yet be. Let us pray. Searching for meaning, we meet you here, Lord. Dismayed at our weakness, frustrated by failure, we meet you here, Lord. Burdened by shame, crushed by guilt, bemused by questions, troubled by doubts, we meet you here, Lord. 
longing for peace, craving fulfilment, requesting refreshment and seeking renewal. We meet you here, Lord. Yearning to follow, eager to serve, embraced by love and enveloped by grace. We meet you here, Lord. For all the ways we have failed you, for all the ways we will fail you again, Lord, have mercy. For all the ways we have failed our neighbour, for all the ways we have failed our loved ones, Lord, have mercy. For all the ways we have failed your church, for all the ways we have failed ourselves, Lord, have mercy. We have no claim, Lord, on your goodness. No reason to expect forgiveness, for in so many ways we have let you down. But we come, trusting in your unfailing love, offering our worship, giving our confession, bringing our lives. We meet you here, Lord. Receive our joyful, heartfelt worship, I pray. Amen. We remember that God showed his love for us in this way, that while we were still separated from him, Christ died for us. And so this table is a place of gathering. Here you are welcomed, wanted, forgiven and loved. There is a place set for you. So come, all of you who thirst, all of you who hunger, all you whose souls cry out for healing. Come, all you who are weary, all you who are bowed down with worry, all you who ache with the tiredness of life. Come, all who are lost, all you who search for meaning but just cannot find it, all you who have no place of belonging. Come because you love the Lord a little and would like to love him more. Come because he loves you and gave himself for you. Come and see, for the light of God has come into the world to proclaim his justice and love. It has overcome the darkness and brought new life. So we remember that on the night before Jesus died, he gathered his friends for supper. And over the meal, they shared stories of lament and longing. They told stories of lament for a world of injustice and powerlessness. That before they'd met Jesus, they'd never even noticed. They lamented over the people who were silenced. Lamented over the people who were blind to the possibility that the world could be anything other than it was. And it would not have been God's table if they hadn't all been gathered around it. The betrayer and the friend. The power hungry and the justice seeker. The faithful and the fickle. And when Jesus poured the wine and the bread was broken, when everyone could eat... 
the outcast and the beloved, the arrogant and the gracious, the wrongdoer and the wrongly done by. The table became a foretaste of love made real and of a world made whole. So whoever you are, whatever you have done, this table is spread for you. Whatever your faults or your fears, your faith or your doubts, Christ recognised our weaknesses and was ready to die. He knew we deserved nothing, yet he gave everything. So if you love Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you're invited to join in this meal. For it is Jesus that invites you and not me. When the meal moved towards its conclusion, Jesus called for that bread and wine. He took the bread and he broke it and said, take this, each one of you, and eat it. This is me, my body, given for you. Each time you eat it, remember me. And then close to the meal's end, he took a cup filled with wine. He asked God's blessing on it and he passed it to them, saying, This is my blood of a new covenant which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take this, all of you, and drink it. This is me. This is my promise in my life's blood, poured out for you and for the whole world. Each time you drink it, remember me. So before we eat the bread and drink the wine, let's give thanks for this meal laid before us. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we are here at your invitation, as guests at your table. We thank you for this opportunity to meet together, to share with you and with one another in this simplest of meals, yet richest of feasts. We thank you for all this meal represents, your willingness to suffer for us and to sacrifice all in order to serve us, to set us free from sin and death, to give life in all its fullness. We thank you that we look here to the future as well as the past. This meal, not just a memorial, but an act of celebration, a joyful anticipation of your coming again. Lord Jesus, gladly and gratefully we come in remembrance of you, in recognition of you, and in response to you. Amen. If you are going to serve um, the bread and the wine, can I invite you to come forwards now? So we, his disciples, his followers, his friends, we eat bread and drink wine and we remember the sacrifice of the one who calls us his friends. We'll eat the bread as we receive and then we'll retain the cup and then drink it together, a sign that we are one. We are family together. We've all been served, so we take the cup and we remember Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Amen.
Lord Jesus Christ, as we've proclaimed your death by eating bread and drinking wine, help us to wait for you and to watch for you so that when you come again, you will find us ready. In Jesus' name, amen.